You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest-growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. We're going to go through, now that we're in October, the month of September, the stats have been released from the Toronto Real Estate Board, Treb Stats time, and we're going to talk about where there's opportunities in the short term, in the long term, which housing types will have you best positioned as an investor going forward. I'm going to break down some numbers for you. Ultimately, the decision is yours and where you invest your money. But as a broker and investor myself, I'm going to research it and share what I believe is going on and let you make those decisions for yourself. If you haven't already, please support the channel. Please support this episode. Hit the like button. Leave us a comment down below and subscribe if you have not done that, done so already. And I'm very proud. We just finished putting together a podcast webpage before I had it on our website, which is Watson Estates. Now, when you click podcast on the website, it actually has its own separate podcast page where you can go back and pretty much search any podcast we've done. There's a fair number. And I thought we really needed to have a platform for you to go back and find maybe topics that you've missed along the way. But go ahead, check that out. You can leave us a review as well. But let's get right into it, guys. I hope you guys had a wonderful last few days. It's been really beautiful out. The other day I was out barbecuing, which I is what I call lining up to get a haircut. <laughs> barbecuing? No, don't get that. All right. I to be honest with you, I'm not I wasn't a big fan of what I got. I mean, I usually get my wife to cut my hair, which sounds silly, but she's actually really good at it. Well, this time around I really winged it, went out and worked with a professional. <laughs> but uh, I got to say it's it's definitely growing on me. Anyways, Let's get into article number one, shall we? <laughs> the Globe and Mail is going to tell us exactly what happened last month. I'm going to break down some of those stats. Before we look to the future, we got to know where we're coming from. Let's look at September, folks. Year over year, we see a sales drop. That's right, a sales drop. The sky is falling, folks. 18% year over year in September. New listings also dropped. The sky is also falling again. New listings dropped a sharper 34 percent in the same period those of you who follow our show know that that spells a disaster as far as price when you see new listings and active listings dropping faster than the number of sales that tells us that we have a kind of a dropping inventory very quickly dropping inventory actually almost twice as fast so what you would expect to see if my math lines up is an increase in price well that's absolutely what we saw and what we saw coming I might remind you the last few months as we were talking about this, everyone say, oh, things are cooling, things are cooling. This imbalance of supply, this, this declining of inventory has ultimately led us to this, an increase in price year over year up in the GTA 18.3%. Wow. The price, the average price of the GTA home is now $1.136 million. And it feels like yesterday that we were celebrating crossing a million. Do you guys remember that? It was a million dollars. We just crossed a million bucks in the GTA. It, it, it was huge news. Well, that's come and gone. <laughs> Somewhere during COVID, we decided to add an extra almost $140,000. Not so bad if you own multiple properties, if you ask me. And I saw another article from Better Dwelling, and I thought this kind of caught, the headline was very enticing, but I thought, let's talk about this for just a second here. 
It's called Toronto Real Estate Reverses Course Post-Election and Jumps $23,000. In Vancouver, they actually had another article that said they, they jumped $9,000. But I find it kind of comedic that they're linking it to the election. Did the election, the stability of the liberal government, is that what caused prices to go up? Or is it what we've been saying, which is this tightening of inventory we've experienced the last few months? Maybe, just maybe, it was September, the fall market, where you kind of expect, you know, things to materialize, start to see price appreciation naturally happen year over year in September. But, and, and the, uh, the funny thing is, is this article talks actually zero about the election. What kind of impact did the election have on house prices? I think we're going to get much of the same under a liberal leadership. I think there's several platform policies that they've got in place that could shake things up, no doubt. I also believe there are investors who sat on the sidelines until they got a bearing of what happened. And there may be those who have decided to come back in. But has that had life-changing impacts on prices? Is that the reason we saw a $23,000 jump in price? How about no, right? Over $130,000, $140,000 price increase. What is a $23,000 in one month? It's just much of the same, folks. Much of the same. <laughs> Moving right along. Stories.com. They actually looked at a Remax fall housing outlook. As many of you know, Remax is rather upbeat about the market. They've been all the way through and obviously rightly so because they were right. But according to the report, when we look at what they're suggesting is going to happen, we're actually, I'm, I'm talking right now with some of the executives at Remax come on our show to share it with us, but I'll give you a little glimpse of it. The average sale price for all home types in Canada could increase by 5% between now, October, until the end of the year, October, November, December, 5% increase estimated or potential in the next few months in the GTA. But aren't we in, aren't we like, aren't there flashing lights from the CMHG talking about over, you know, things are going to come down? Well, according to Remax, it's going to be driven by single detached homes and we could see as much as a 5% increase in a matter of a few months. Again, much of the same to this point in time. They also say, Remax, in their report, 26 out of 29 major Canadian housing markets analyzed are currently seller's markets. This is across coast to coast, driven by the lack of supply and high demand. Where did high demand come from? I believe much of interest rates is a cause for that. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But one of the things that I noticed in the 416 freehold space is a shift in direction as far as number of properties selling over asking. It's a lot. It's been a lot all the way through. But it peaked a few months back at 74% of listings in the 416 freehold space selling over asking. That number had actually been declining for a while, which was maybe concerning for some folks, myself included. Maybe is this an indication of something to take place or is it taking a pause like everything else? Well, it's the latter because we starting, we're starting to see prices Sorry, the number of lists sold over asking increasing once again at six at 67% in September. And at the speed that it's going up, I think we could push and test that high once again. It'll be interesting to see. And all of this comes with this kind of blind bidding war. And, you know, all of this just if for those who say blind bidding war doesn't have an impact, when three quarters of freehold properties in 416 are selling over asking, I think it does. I think it does, but depends who you ask, I suppose. 
So the Globe and Mail had an opinion on this entire thing. All of these numbers we're looking at, here's what they say. The combination of scant supply and peak prices is tempting some investors to test the market. They actually give us an example. One pair of investors is planning to see how much buyers are willing to bring for a one-bedroom condo unit that they bought back in 2017. If you bought a condo in 2017, they've done quite well, right? This is an upscale Yorkville neighborhood. So the couple purchased a 645 square foot unit at 40 Scotland Street with plans to rent it out in the short term and possibly pass it on to family member in the long term. That was the goal. That was the vision. Well, the carrying costs have been higher than the amount that they've been earning in rent. As you guys know, rent's been struggling. We'll talk about what the rent rate is right now as well. But during the pandemic, Rental rates downtown dropped sharply. Tenants asked for reductions. Those tenants, they really strong-armed a lot of landlords, created a ton of conflict, and were supported by government. Why wouldn't you, right? You got the support. I got, I got, the, uh, I got the hammer behind me. Well, Mr. Cutyan, who's the agent, says the couple has decided to sell after a couple of units in the building received big money recently. So yes, we're not seeing massive rent, but we've absolutely, since 2017, seen massive price increase for condos. Maybe our thinking on long-term in the condo space wasn't really the best opportunity for our family. Maybe it's time to cash out. Well, that's what they're saying. Sellers, they're testing the market. They're not worried about selling because let's face it, you've owned a condo the last few years, you've seen handsome returns. But maybe we test it out. You know, give me an offer that I can't refuse. And so what this is causing, if this is in fact what's taking place, is obviously things are harder for buyers. Imagine lining up with 10 other offers, winning, 100,000 over asking, and the seller says, no, thank you. <laughs> We're going to say no to every single offer on the table. In an environment like this, that could be the case. Maybe it's not what they were looking for. It's not quite enough. Maybe we'll just sit a little longer and see how we do. What a way to kind of have a deceiving number as far as number of new listings. So if our number of new listings and active listings are going down and the ones that are coming on are simply testing the market to see what would happen, you got to make it worth a while because I got to find something to pay me, baby, pay me. A tough time for buyers, especially when the demand is pent up as it is. But you got to also win over the tenants, right? We're seeing the struggling happening for landlords with the tenants and tenants, they have options now. I got some talk about the stats. So Live Rent, they frequently send me some info. Interesting also to see the unfurnished and the furnished and how they're virtually the same price. But when we look at the trends for Toronto rent, it's been as much as I've seen somewhat of an increase in the one bedroom space, it actually seems relatively flat. There seems to be some stability. So the question is, is will we continue to see rent prices go up? Maybe not. Maybe this is our new normal. The new normal sitting just under $1,700 for a one bedroom in Toronto in September. So we'll keep tracking that if there's any more increase. I think a lot of investors that have had long-term, uh, that have not had tenants or they've kind of gone through this whole crisis and they're saying, hey, we're going to wait for rents to go up. They might be starting to get to a point where they're realizing there's not a whole lot more to go. Maybe this is the end of that. Obviously, if you're renting condos, which I personally am not in the process of doing, research where the rent rates are in your building and continue to do that. But when we look overall, it seems to have been, it seems pretty flat as far as the number of rents in Toronto. Every city's got their own bounces, but we're looking at Toronto today. One of the other reasons that I say that tenants have a lot of options, there's a lot of strength 
obviously in tenant advocacy groups, which we're going to hear from some of them. We've got some guests coming up where we can talk to them. I love to hear that perspective. Also housing critics, very, very actually pumped about some of the guests coming up on our show. You guys are going to be you're going to be in for a treat. We're going to be talking to the president of the Toronto Real Estate Board, Kevin Krigger. We're going to be talking to the OREA president, Tim Hudak. We're just coordinating that as well. Housing advocates. Um, we we're going to be talking to the NDP. We're, we're, currently, we're talking to some folks from the NDP on housing critics. So lots of really good topics of discussion and, and arguments and points that we'll have in front of us. But all of these things often in support of tenants and housing and, you know, making it more affordable. That's what all the election platform parties ran on, was it not? Here's one more tool that just rolled out according to BlogTO. This is a city initiative. The article is called New Interactive Map. Let's you see how safe and clean Toronto apartment buildings really are. So the city, city of Toronto, just launched a new tool. I love that Toronto is a hub for so many tech. Oftentimes they don't go anywhere, but I think... For within the city itself, if you're buying or doing anything in Toronto, there are so many resources that aren't available in surrounding communities that are available in Toronto, and this would be one. The City of Toronto now helps renters view and download evaluation results for apartment buildings registered with Rent Safe TO. The bylaw enforcement program that ensures owners and operators must meet building maintenance standards so you can be sure a particular building is the right one for you. I find it interesting. We go and we go to a restaurant and we see that little kind of green check mark, which if we even pay attention to that anymore, if it's not green, maybe we notice it. But the city's also on it. They're involved in it. Well, there's kind of a similar philosophy in housing and apartments for units that have more. Actually, it's stories of 10 or more units, three or three or more stories, 10 or more units. These all fall under this category that RentSafeTO is monitoring to comply with the apartment standards bylaw. And the city evaluates RentSafeTO buildings at least once every three years. If it's below 50, if the score is below 50, they say, you better bet we're on it. So they're constantly monitoring these things, but it's a good platform that's available to tenants to figure out what exactly does this building look like? And is this the right decision for me and my loved ones? I love this program. I believe, I believe personally, information is fairness. Releasing sale data, I think, was one of the best things that could have happened for consumers in our market. I also believe, hashtag remove blind bidding, I believe there's a, a place for transparency, common transparency. Make things equal, equal playing field. But we, again, we verify restaurants. Why would we not verify homes? Is this not a good thing? And on the topic of blind bidding, I thought I'd share this. There's a poll from CBC. Guess what? 52% of people agree with myself that we should eliminate the blind bidding process. The way the federal government wants to do it is not healthy. It's not right. But they're coming up against a lot of backlash from boards. But maybe there's a way we can do this in a more civil way because the majority of Canadians want it. In fact, less people want it to stay the same than don't even know. <laughs> because the don't know is 25% and stay the same is 23%. More people don't even know than are fighting to keep it. So if you just take numbers to numbers, more than double want things to change than those who have said they want them to stay the same. And this is Toronto, as mentioned. Why would we not have a platform where we're kind of, we're encouraged to make changes. We're encouraged to improve and grow. I believe that's a healthy thing for our market. Could it shock the market? Yes, I believe it would. But is it the right thing to do? Yes, I believe it is. I think ultimately the fundamentals of Toronto are strong. The fundamentals of Canadians housing is strong. And I don't think something like a change of blind bidding is going to have any long-term significant impacts on your house prices. So let's treat each other right. And let's actually deal with affordability. Rant ends right here. Moving on. <laughs> Better dwelling. 
had an article, Canadian real estate prices increased so fast, they eliminated the benefit of low rates. The biggest reason for, I guess there's a couple of reasons, but one of the biggest reasons beyond inflation, inflation is the other one. One of the biggest reasons was dropping in, of interest rates, I believe is probably the single largest reason we've seen price increases the way that we have in the last few years. Well, here's what they say. Canadians were given a boost to affordability when rates were cut at the start of the pandemic. The Bank of Canada's Housing Affordability Index fell to the most affordable level in over a decade. By cutting interest rates, households can finance debt more cheaply, improving affordability, apart from the CMHC stress test. But overall, it also happens to increase demand, though, pushing home prices higher. That's a natural result of dropping interest rates. If left for too low for too long... The benefits of low rates are outweighed by higher prices. And they say Canadian real estate is now way past that point, way past that point. So there's this kind of balance where we want to bring forward a lot of the demand that was maybe waiting through dropping interest rates. But over time, if we leave interest rates low, prices will go up and ultimately put us back in the same scenario we were on as far as affordability. Well, what they argue in this article is that we, we have gone beyond. So with all of the benefit that you've seen in dropping of interest rates and lower payments and affordability have been matched and outpaced by the increase in prices. So ultimately your tab is higher as a percentage of your overall gross income. It's going to the expense of your mortgage. So what is the benefit? There's not really a benefit anymore. It's been gobbled up and really benefiting those who own fixed assets, real estate. Dropping interest rates had a different impact on prices. Uh, don't know what that problem was. We're gonna move on, moving on. Sometimes I write something and uh, I send DMs <laughs> to myself. <laughs> but one of the biggest questions that I get right now is, is it the right time to buy or sell? I, it's really actually kind of awkward as a salesperson, as a, as a realtor. When I have conversations with people that are professionals, like I'm talking to a lawyer, I'm talking to a doctor, talking to a dentist. And I say, oh yeah, no. And then, and when they find out you're a realtor, they say, oh, should I buy or sell? It's almost like a starting talking point. And I, I'm like, you know, there's no platform for me to justify it. And maybe it appears crazy and maybe it's just biased because I'm a realtor. But my answer remains to purchase. It's a buy time, man. To me, it is very, very obvious. Unless I'm the biggest dummy. It's so obvious. In fact, we just bought a fourplex because we were putting our money there. We, we believe it's the time to buy. Our property cash flows, 500 bucks a month. Yes, it is possible to do uh, so, somewhat close, maybe not in Toronto, but outskirts of Toronto. It had lift potential and we're paying our partner back within five years. And obviously we're constantly looking for partners. We've got satisfied partners to, if you ever want to talk to one of them and see what we're doing, but we're constantly looking for partners. We've got access to opportunities across the GTA where we can manage them. But all that to say, Yes, we're buying. Yes, we are buying and I'm excited to buy in a market like this. I believe the numbers are very, very strong. And I feel for people who are scared and left in fear and sitting on the sidelines, they're gonna pay for it. They just, they're gonna pay for it. But that's my thoughts. That's my two cents. Uh, you can't buy anything with two cents anymore. In fact, I couldn't even find two cents around my house anymore. So I don't know what, I don't know. <laughs> Ah, take the money to the bank, cash it in. Okay, so demand is only going to get higher in Toronto and the GTA. Here's my thoughts then. Where, which housing type is there the best opportunity? That's one of the questions. And in, I think you can really break this down from the short term and the long term because I believe the answer is actually different for the two. 
So when we're deciding for your portfolio for the short term, the thing that stands out to me the most out of all of the reasons why I see a support for this particular housing type, and we're talking about condos, by the way, is this price gap, this this changing price gap. That is the average price between the detached and the condo, right? We, we've kind of got this balance that we've seen in history and it seems to be two to one. Like it seems to have that kind of balance. Well, more and more we're seeing this kind of disconnect where detached are just taking off as far as prices. In fact, only for the seventh time have we seen now a million dollar difference between the detached and the condo, which is what we see now. The question is, is will it pull back like we saw in 2017? This comes from Scott Ingram, by the way. He's the one that I follow to keep track of this particular stat. And I think that there's a case to be made that either detached homes are overpriced or Condo prices are at a discount, and I believe it's the condo prices are at a discount. I really do, especially as we start to see immigration on its way up soon. I think people are, they gravitate naturally to detach because of COVID, but I think there's this forgetfulness that we have out here of people ignoring that condos will also in the short term be of demand. I think there's a large spread right now between detached and condo, which points to a higher opportunity in the condo space in the short term talking specifically about equity, specifically about equity. So if you're going to live somewhere, I guess that matters more. If you're renting it, I believe you're, I mean, again, if you've been following me, you know, for a while, if you're not generating a cash flow, you're really banking a lot on having an equity growth. And I think that's a risky position. One of the other things that I think is fantastic about a condo is when you do get your hair cut, you can do it on the balcony, right? And cleanup is a breeze. <laughs> But what about the long-term? What about the long-term? As we're deciding your portfolio, I saw this really, really intriguing article that, I mean, I'm, I'm putting these, I'm putting two to two together here. Maybe I'm completely off base, but I think this is a very, very strong argument. You can leave it down in the comments what you think and what your thoughts are on all of this. But here is an article that came from Smart Prosperity Institute, which is a national research network and a policy think tank based in the University of Ottawa. So they have this article they, they published called Baby Needs a New Home, Projecting Ontario's Growing Number of Families and Their Housing Needs. Follow me with this, okay? Because I, I believe with the numbers, the detail they gave us presents a very interesting opportunity. And I think it points pretty clearly on where there's going to be a long-term opportunity in our market. Here they go. Ontario's population is growing rapidly, which will require the building of 1 million new family-friendly, climate-friendly homes in the next 10 years. Baby Needs a New Home explores population and demographic trends across Ontario. Failure to build enough housing in our cities and communities will increase the number of young families driving until they qualify across the province in search of housing. It also means an opportunity, I'm adding this in, for investors, right? It's an opportunity in there on monitoring how well we do. But drive until you qualify is a powerful force. In the 12 months between July 2019 and July 2020, 60,000 people on net left the city of Toronto and Peel region for other parts of the province. These were primarily made of children under the age of five and their parents who are moving further from their existing careers and community in the search for family-friendly housing that meets their needs and wants in communities across southern Ontario. We should expect that this reality will continue for the projected 910,000 new net families formed in Ontario over the next 
decade. 910,000 more families to come. Of, here's an interesting thought, of the 910,000 net new households formed over the next 10 years, primarily made of couples planning on having children, young folks, millennials with kids, we project being this article here projects that 195,000 will live in high-rise apartments or five stories or more, while 715,000 will live in all other forms of housing. So that's what I had. That's what I was looking at. As soon as you tell me where, see, it's one thing to say we need housing, but as soon as you're able to identify what type of housing will be needed, if this is accurate, we can forecast what's available. Where are there opportunities for us? Where is there going to be a tighter, you know, a tighter market, a tighter supply versus demand? And so what I did is I crunched those numbers. So according to this research firm, 21% will want to live in condos of this 910,000 needed. 79% will want everything else, right? So almost 80%, the 80-20 is definitely in favor of everything else, not condos. So I thought, okay, well, well, let's look. The other, actually one more stat to make it even more pronounced. They say, we project that 1.475 million new households with a head of household currently under the age of 55, young families, will be formed over the next 10 years. Of these, approximately 225,000 will live in high-rise with the rest living in other forms of housing. Those numbers work out to a high-rise apartment living arrangement, about 15% of them. 15% want to live in high-rise, 85% want everything else. Would it be interesting if when we're looking at what's available, the market and how it's working today, now, I didn't crunch numbers, and if someone can find them, please leave it in the comments below on the split on what is the percentage that are condos versus everything else. If you have that, you can share it. Took far too long for my research, but I thought, you know what? Just let's get an idea of active listings. Let's get an idea of the sales. And so when I run the numbers, what I'm seeing last month, active listings for freehold, all type, all type of freehold, was 1,500 last month. The 10-year average is around 1,200. Well, when I look at the active listings for condos, it's at 3,200, the 10-year average being 2,500. There are 2,500, pretty much actually more than double, more than double the number of activities or sales and movement in the condo space than we see in the freehold space and everything else. Well, how interesting is it though that 80% want that everything else? They don't want the condos. Only 20% in the next 10 years will want the condo. So in my mind, the summary of all this, again, do your due diligence, look into it, but I find it mad fascinating. In my mind, demand is going to be strongest on the freehold side in the long term. And I think we might get caught flat footed. I believe we will. The other question is, is Toronto prepared to accept and receive those young families? Or are we going to continue to allow them to pour out of our province and pour out of our major cities in exchange for foreign capital come in and move into Canada through the form of immigration, not foreign investment, but through immigration and fill the void in order to increase prices. I guess it's a matter of who we prioritize. Clearly, the federal government is prioritizing foreign in capital and money coming into our country. But if we're actually sincere about addressing this almost million families that are en route, I think we need to start to do something if we want to bring them here or do we want to let them move out? In either case, holding real estate in the GTA is a fantastic opportunity. If anything, us being unable to satisfy those housings, which I think is a, is a pretty big feat, if we're unable to do that, 
The result is success in neighboring communities, areas outside of Toronto and the GTA. Just some of the things that I'm looking at, some of the things I'm interested in as an investor and a broker. Hopefully you learned some stuff. Please share this on Instagram. It's one of the most loving things you can do. Also, if you see someone crying, you know, ask them if it's because their haircut, because you never know. We need to be there for each other. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe, leave me a comment, especially if you got extra research that we can use. And take a second, check out our new website, podcast.watsonestates.ca, or you can go to watsonestates.ca and click the podcast. One of the things that's pretty cool about this new website. I wanted to leave it here because I want it to be the guys that listen, the guys and gals that listen to our show that do this. But there's a little icon in the bottom right corner. You can actually leave me a voice message. If you say something smart or have a good question, you could find yourself on a future show. (laughs) Besides that, I hope you guys have a wonderful day and I'll talk to you soon. Take care and keep it real.